Engaging Leader, Episode 39, How Trusted Leaders Use Conversation to Power Their Organizations, featuring Michael Slind. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Not so long ago, power within organizations emanated from the commands of top executives. But as we've discussed in several episodes of Engaging Leader, more leaders today recognize that driving their team in a traditional command and control manner doesn't work anymore. So does that also mean that old models of top-down corporate communication don't work either? How can leaders today communicate things like goals and vision and values, which are still very needed to help keep an organization aligned? To help us address those questions, our guest is Michael Slind. Michael is Senior Editor of Stanford Social Innovation Review. He is co-author of the book, Talk, Inc., How Trusted Leaders Use Conversation to Power Their Organizations, from Harvard Business Review Press. Mike's previous experience ranges from research at Harvard Business School to editorial work at Fast Company Magazine, as well as work with Tom Peters and other business thought leaders. Mike, welcome to Engaging Leader. Great to be with you, Jesse. How did you get into this project around Talk, Inc.? I had been a communication professional, as you note. I'd been, um, I'd worked at a magazine. I'd done some uh, work helping to develop books for Tom Peters, and at the time, I was um, a working helping to develop some of the teaching cases at Harvard Business School. Had worked with a couple of different professors, and one in particular, Boris Groisberg. He and I uh, developed a good relationship, and he is a professor of organizational behavior. We just got to talking, and we realized that, you know, what's going on? We want to know if I'm interested in communication and he's interested in organizations, you put those two together and you have this broad topic of communication within organizations. So we want to say, what's going on there? We know that there's this thing called corporate communication. It's a large functional unit within most companies, especially big ones. What's Is there anything that's changing here, anything that's worth actually further study? So we began a kind of pilot survey, and eventually it, we realized that we had an idea that could become a book. The way we approached it is we began by talking mostly with corporate communication professionals, people with uh, titles like director or VP of corporate communication at a large number of different organizations, really all types and sizes. Anyone would get to talk to us at first. We started doing that, and then as we were sort of sifting our, our qualitative data, our interview transcripts, something jumped out at us. And one of the first things that jumped out at us is this word conversation. And we realized that there were things that were changing. People were really trying to recalibrate how they communicate how they manage communication within organizations. And they didn't want to talk about communication, which sounded kind of bureaucratic and functional. They wanted to talk about having a conversation with their people or fostering a conversation among their people. And we thought that word was important. It signaled a lot of other discrete changes that were hap- they're actually happening. It wasn't just a buzzword. It wasn't just you know a way to shake up your lexicon. And it had some meaning. And so as we began to explore, we realized that we could sort of put together a model of how we think the smartest and nimblest leaders today are really trying to shift the way they communicate and manage communication in their organizations. That became the genesis of this book. And you mentioned that in your book that it started with talking to all these director and VPs of corporate communication, and you were almost trying to show us what's, what's the state of the art in corporate communication with all the new tools that are available. 
and you eventually realized that there was so much focus on conversation that your study needed to be broadened to talk to a lot of CEOs and other business leaders. We interviewed some other non-communication professionals early on, but it wasn't the primary focus. But then we realized we really wanted to interview people outside the communication function and see if we were seeing the same trends. And indeed, that's what proved out. So we, we talked to people who were in human resources, uh, people who were in operations, um, and we ended up talking to CEOs at a number of different companies. Um, and as we did so, we did realize that uh, they, even more than the communication professionals, were using this, this, this lingo of conversation. And the key idea really is, is trying to move away from uh, communication as a kind of a mass top-down function, which is what communi corporate communication grew to be over the course of the 20th century, that old command and control model, trying to move it so that you could try to do something that, that emulated the attributes of personal conversation. And especially top leaders, especially CEOs, they wanted to have a sense that they weren't just sort of like making decisions and then issuing commands um, that, you know, delegating to a communi corporate communication department to issue memos or, or what then to sort of, you know, filter that down through the organization, they realized that they need to be in much closer touch and have much more back and forth dynamic, um, in, you know, the, the flow of information, let's say, had to be, and ideas had to be much more dynamic between themselves at the top of the company and the people throughout the company. And, you know, there's really some broad trends in our society and our economy over the last 10, 20, 50 years that are just really making it so that leaders see that they need to put a premium on having this two-way, dynamic, rich conversation with people. More and more value is being created at the front lines. More and more key information about what customers want is at that front lines. And if that information doesn't filter back in a rich, subtle, you know, back and forth way, a way in which leaders can actually engage with people who are actually, again, on the front lines of the company, then they, companies are not going to do well. And then you add in things like globalization, the advances in technology, all these things really, really converge to make the old model of how companies managed information within themselves just no longer as, as in some cases, no longer tenable, but certainly no longer very effective. When you use the phrase conversation or organizational conversation, is that just talk? <laughs> uh, well, like I said, we thought we, we came to think that it wasn't, that leaders themselves were not using it in that way. And well, we didn't, we, then we, we sort of had that aha moment that con the word conversation was significant. We went back and tried to break that down. Um, and we say, what are, some, what are some trends that are happening in organizational communication? And then we also, the more we looked at those trends, we realized that they really map or correspond to key attributes of personal conversation, you know, just conversation between two people, between friends or family members, for that matter. And we came up with a model. It has four parts, and each of these part, each of the elements of this model begin with the letter I. It's sort of the way you do things when you write a book like this. You want to help people remember. So we came up with a way of talking about these four elements that each begin with the letter I, and I'll just quickly name them. They are intimacy, interactivity, inclusion, and intentionality. And we thought each of those things are things that you really see keenly in a personal conversation and leaders are now trying to find ways in their companies to, you know, uh, emulate, uh, replicate that, that dynamic to the degree that they can within organizations of, in some cases, organizations of very great size. So let's talk a little bit about that first component, intimacy. So this is something that is a normal part of regular conversation and it should come over into the model for corporate communication or leadership communication. But I have to say, at first, it sounds odd to say yeah. intimacy. 
It does. And I, I usually try to offer, you got there first, but I usually try to offer a caveat and say, don't get thrown off by that word. Uh, <laughs> it, it, again, just to be honest, we wanted to have four eyes, but also um, it, I think it helps to be a little provocative and really to sort of reinforce the point. What we're talking about when we say intimacy is is this idea of getting closer and it can sometimes in some cases it means tangibly physically closer it means leaders getting out on the front lines on the shop floor uh going out and doing site visits and not simply you know expecting other people to sort of carry your message for you but even more so it really means kind of a, a closeness of spirit a closeness of culture so it means collapsing the, the the great distances that can open up institutionally within especially large companies where you have this leader who's you're talking at people rather than with people talking from on high so a lot of what intimacy in a personal conversation, you think about it, it just means that, you know, I'm, you know, even if I'm thousands of miles away, as you and I are right now, uh, as we do this interview, there's a sense in which I'm not trying to sort of lord it over you. I'm just, we're right there with each other, again, in, in mm-hmm. spirit, at least. And that's an important part. And what it practically means for leaders as they try to manage and conduct communication is is being a little bit more authentic, being personal, uh, kind of uh, throwing out the sort of bureaucratic corporate talk and trying to be a little bit more, um, you know, just a little bit more straight, authentic. And in some cases, showing your vulnerable side. That's a big part of it. And I think uh, we, we put that one first because we didn't want this, you know, some of the later things are more operational or technical about using certain channels and so on. We wanted to make a point that this is really about uh, how leaders think of themselves, how they operate. Uh, vis-a-vis their, their employees. So that's that's intimacy. Now, one of the in the book when you actually get into how does a leader create intimacy and important things that you talk about in there are collaboration, having an emphasis on that and having an emphasis on trust and not having to be right all the time. But the one of the things that was very challenging to me was your whole discussion about sharing information very freely within your organization, even things like at Athena Health is the story you tell where they basically give all employees the trust that you would give to an, an inside trader. Uh, yeah, no, and that's um, that's a good example. And I think we, we don't think that every company necessarily will want to go to that link, but simply we use it as a sort of, again, provocative illustration of what it can mean to show, to develop trust among your employees by showing your trust for your employees uh, and by sort of narrowing that distance between between the top people who are declared insiders and everyone else in the company. So just to kind of briefly say what that was about, Athena Health is uh, an increasingly prominent player in the healthcare technology marketplace. They did go public, I think, as far back as 2007, if I'm remembering correctly. But the key events for our purposes happened before they went public, when they were a startup, as they were leading up to their IPO. They made um, an explicit decision to make everyone in the company of that a sort of official insider, quote unquote, uh, under the SEC guidelines, which, you know, when you're preparing to go public, there are very specific rules as to who can have information because they are worried about insider trading uh, issues and so on. So they need to know who's taking responsibility, who's taking ownership for key financial details about the company's key strategic decisions that might be made and so on. And they made a decision that our business model is so dependent. Here's a good example of what I was talking about before about how the way business is done these days makes it you can't sort of uh, cordon off information so easily because this company's business model means that they need to be able to share information all the time. So uh, they, they're, they're about creating a network, a data network among various uh, parts of the sort of medical uh, value chain. And they need to know that a person in one company working with one part, of the, one link in that value chain can talk to people working with another link 
You know, if we're talking about communicating with hospitals and the people who are communicating with doctors, they need to be able to talk to each other about how we can make a better business, how can we make a better product. So they basically, the, lead, the top leaders of the company said, we need to really show that we believe in openness. And this is a way of sending that signal that we really trust our employees. And it was a big leap, a big leap of faith. And uh, they thought it was very powerful in terms of building the kind of in- collaborative, interactive, uh, indeed intimate culture that they wanted to have. Yeah, and that problem of building trust is so tough. As you cite in the book, CEOs are trusted by only 17% of people now. Every company will have to adapt this in a way that they see fit. And, you know, we, the way you do this and you write a book like this, you sort of, you, you often find extreme examples that really kind of put things into sharp relief. But not every company will see fit to do that. And with very good reason, there's very good reason to keep information, some information, you know, sequestered as it were. But that's a good illustration about how you should realize there's a price to be paid. The more you're saying, well, this information is for our eyes only and employees can't have it, the more you set up a dynamic of which the employees are going to have the same attitude. You know, this is my information. Information is power. If I hoard it, it's going to be better for me and the company. And if you can kind of break away from that mentality, the more you can break away from the mentality, it's going to be a lot better in terms of sharing the information. It's going to allow you to, you know, create value. So that's intimacy. Now, tell us a little bit about interactivity. Each of those four eyes sort of govern uh, or, or pertain to a particular domain of activity. So intimacy is really about leadership. When you come to interactivity, the focus here shifts toward what people traditionally think of when they think of communication, which is how you use certain channels, you know, and technologies, the sort of nuts and bolts. Uh, and so the, the, the move toward interactivity really reflects the fact that technology a lot, now makes it a lot easier, especially in large companies, to create back and forth communication. That's the key to interactivity is the getting to the Latin root here, inter, meaning between, uh, acting in between, going back and forth. Uh, we our big t- sort of macro title for that section of the book is back and forth. That it, in other words, information is not one way; it's it's two way. In some ways, multi way. You know, employees are talking among themselves and not simply to their leaders. And to do that, formerly it was very hard to to kind of set up that dynamic because um, the old technologies were one way. You know, print newsletters, memos. You know, in very large companies, they might use advanced TV or radio type media or have executives get up on a stage and speak. But those were all very tended to be kind of one way. But the age of social media, and I do want to offer the caveat that we think of social media as only a sort of subsidiary point here. We don't want to sort of, we're trying to not get on the social media buzz bandwagon here. But it does, these new technologies like uh, having an internal Facebook, um, various kinds of video platforms, there's a lot of new stuff out there that allows leaders to sort of uh, you know, actually it improves, it improves intimacy and interactivity. Mm-hmm, it sort yeah. of allows leaders to get closer to their people and it allows employees to talk back. An example that we like to use here, and it actually covers both these first two eyes, is what John Chambers, the CEO at Cisco Systems, has done. If I may, may I go ahead and talk about that example? Absolutely, that'd be great. So it's a company of somewhere between sixty and 70,000 people worldwide. I don't have the latest figures. So traditionally, you know, if the CEO has a message to his, all, that many employees, it's, you create a memo. It's it's carefully tailored by a you know a corporate communications department because you don't know who's going to see it. And lots of different people, lots of different languages uh, all over the world. It's, it's quite a production. Um, he sort of just skips over all that and and sort of leapfrogs all the intermediate layers of his company by doing a video blog. So. Uh, basically, every couple of months, as often as necessary, but at least once a quarter, he has a blog platform that he calls On My Mind, and he will 
And here's the intimacy part. It's very casual and authentic. He'll just take the webcam on his computer and start talking into it. He's in shirt sleeves and it's just it's just him. He's not like dressed up to be all impressive. And it's for internal use only. So it goes out only to employees. They're only the ones that are able to log into the network and access this. And he talks to them directly. And again, that's mostly about intimacy. But what's interesting is it's, it is a blog, which is to say there's an open comments field. So anyone in the company can chime in and say, hey, here's what's on my mind. And in addition, I was told that there are some employees who went ahead and recorded their own videos and posted them on the comments and said, hey, John, here's what's on my mind. So you think about, you know, Cisco's a company where, you know, they're a very competitive business. Their stock goes up and down. Uh, they have a, a bad quarter and their stock goes down. Employees get nervous. They think, are there going to be layoffs and so on? He's able to get on and have a video that goes out to all employees pretty much as soon as he records it, in which he can sort of basically tell them directly, here's what the issues are. Here's what we're doing to address those issues. Here's why you should worry, and here's why you shouldn't worry. And it's really a powerful way of using technology. And we, again, we, we kind of we put all that under the banner of interactivity. If he is doing that kind of intimate conversations, do you get a sense that he or leaders doing similar things get burned from time to time where something they say, then maybe there's a change that happens or gets taken out of context, and then they've sort of put a promise out there that... Uh, could cause, let's say, a lawsuit? You raise a really good question. And I, you know, I'll be honest with you that for the most part in our book, we were talking about, you know, stories where this is working and sort of best practices. <laughs> we didn't focus on the flip side. I have not heard of anything where uh, leaders um, shifting away from the traditional approach and sort of something that's more immediate and more intimate and more interactive. I've not heard of anything leading to a lawsuit. It probably has happened. I just have not heard of it. I heard many more stories of leaders saying, you know what, I've been pleasantly surprised. I was really worried if we sort of moved away from the traditional approach that we would, you know, bad things would happen. It comes up, this comes up a lot, you know, in maybe the next element where you allow employees to get much more involved in the communication element where people were very much concerned. I'm getting a little ahead of the game, but again and again, leaders say, you know what, we were nervous, but once we did it, we're so glad we did. We don't, we've not, you know, we've not really looked back. And a key theme at companies is, you know, we only hire adults. So, you, there always is risk, but the risk is in your HR and in, in who you hire and keep around, not not so much in, in what you tell them and, and, and how you interact with them. Sure. People start to understand the heart of the leaders and what's driving decisions. And maybe over time, the upside it far outweighs the sort of short-term risks that may come up. But let's let's talk about your third eye, inclusion. What's that about? Here, the, sh the focus shifts to the content of communication. You know how people, how content is developed, how ideas and information are, are developed and disseminated within a company. And traditionally, you had a corporate communication department and top leaders who were the authorized communicators. They're the ones who developed the official messages, and everything kind of went out under that aegis. And it was again carefully vetted, highly controlled. Indeed, in a traditional big corporation. Communication was a control function, sort of not too much different from finance or accounting, where it was just very important to get everything right. Again, kind of picking up on what we were talking about a second ago, there's a sense that everything had to be kind of go through a legal review because all kinds of bad things could happen if the wrong words came out or the wrong message was, was given out. And what we're finding is a lot of companies are just, they're letting go. Um, and what they're doing is they're including, hence the word inclusion, they're including broad ranks of their employees in the whole process of helping to tell the company story and helping to develop the content by which the company does its business. The best example we really think, and we feature it linked in the book, is EMC Company, 
It's the world's largest data storage provider. They do software and hardware and systems for storing data. And um, if you think about it, that's a business that has to be, you know, it's all, it's a business full of engineers who are all about controlling things and they have very low tolerances for error in what they do. So it's traditionally a very buttoned up and buttoned down company. But they made a very interesting kind of experiment starting, you know, half a dozen years ago where they really started to open things up and it began with launching an internal uh, social media platform called EMC1 where they basically let any employee throughout the company set up their own community discussion board for other people and they let anyone in the company set up their own blog. At first these blogs were internal but in the years afterward they, they would spin off and be public blogs and you had employees under the sponsorship of EMC you know, going out into the world and saying, here's what we're working on at EMC, here's what we're excited about. And when they started it, there was a lot of internal discussion. Oh, what kind of rules should we have? We'll, should we set up certain communities and invite people to join? And they said, no, we're not going to control it. We're going to sort of take an if you build it, they will come approach. And they built it and people came. Uh, employees uh, set up their own communities. They started their own sorts of blogs. And you have this sort of now this sort of rich store uh, of employee-generated um, content. And, you know, if you are familiar with the buzz around the, the what's happened in the consumer internet over the last half dozen or more years, a big theme is user-generated content. That You know, more and more big companies, I always like to use the example of Facebook, which is this huge, pretty prosperous company. Although know, stock has gone up and down, but generally it's a very thought to be a very successful company. And it's all, it's a media company based on making their users provide all the content. Well, on the same principle, more and more companies are realizing that they can get a lot if they allow their employees to sort of take part in the conversation throughout their company and outside the company. More and more companies are allowing and encouraging and even training rank and file employees to be brand ambassadors and evangelists and the like and to sort of spread the message outward. So at EMC, um, you know, having something like one of their engineers do a blog about his particular sector of storage technology is a recruiting tool by the connections he makes he's able to find great people to bring into the company so again that's that's inclusion again it's all about really in some cases radically changing the whole content generation process so it becomes a much more multi-vocal multi-dimensional conversation now if for intimacy the keyword is leadership and for interactivity the keyword is channels what's the keyword for inclusion it's content content, content development actually a secondary key term here and it gets back to a question you asked a moment ago is control or giving up control or loss of control. Because, for example, the leaders at EMC had to realize is that they were used to controlling all these messages and they no longer could do that. And they have found, again, I had top executives, including members of the a member of the board, just say, you know what? It's just worked out much better than we thought. We were worried, but we only hire adults here. And what's very interesting is that they the employees police themselves. There's a sense in which, first of all, a lot of it, to get into the nitty-gritty of it, you, you can't allow anonymous commenting, for example. People have to take ownership of what they say, and they have to know that there could be consequences for saying the wrong thing um, or for, you know, flaming other people or something like that on an on a, on a, on a employee discussion board. But they, they basically say, we hire adults here, and they kind of watch out for themselves and for each other. And, and it, by letting them do that, by giving up control, they get a lot a richer store of content, a richer way of telling the company story, both internally and externally. Well, that seems to make sense as a principle in regular, everyday, one-on-one -on -one conversation that leaders should use in their organizational communication as well, inclusion. So that's the third I. And what's the fourth and final I? Uh, intentionality, I think. Let me just back up and say the first three 
uh, intimacy, interactivity, and inclusion are really about opening up a conversation. But intentionality is really about kind of what we call closing the loop. And if you think about it, even in an ordinary conversation, if, you know, when we say conversation, we're not talking about idle chatter or just small talk. We're talking about something that's, you know, kind of rich and meaningful where you might get something out of it. And so we think even in a personal conversation it can be open, but it's not aimless. People come to it with a sense of wanting to get something out of it and, and have a sense of what they're trying to convey and what they're trying to do with that. So intentionality almost functions as a counterpoint to the first three. The key word here is strategy. And that means kind of two different but overlapping things. It means having a strategy for how you do communication. Yes, this is all about opening up conversation. You're not controlling it, but it doesn't, in a way, the fact that you're not controlling everything means it puts all the higher premium on actually having a strategic vision of how you're going to uh, manage that which you can't control. Uh, <laughs> so it means having a sense of what you're trying to convey and what our, what our big messages are. Um, and, you know, always kind of like, again, even though you're opening things up, you as a leader can't relinquish responsibility for making sure that key messages are getting out there. Um, and that requires a strategic and intentional approach. And then secondarily, what it means is using conversation and communication practices to convey organizational strategy. In the world gone by, individual employees didn't necessarily have to understand the big picture company strategy you know, that well. They just had to do their job well, and it was up to the top people to understand that. But more and more leaders realized that our frontline employees need to understand why we're doing this. If they understand why we're doing it, they're going to do it better, and they're going to feed back to us the information we need. So a, a lot of the premium that leaders are uh, – leaders today are putting a big premium on finding creative ways to – convey that big picture strategy to use to build that into the conversation you know it may mean talking finding ways to communicate with people who are not mbas who don't sort of they don't think strategy all day long but how can we actually give them a sense of where our company stands within the larger competitive ecosystem for example how do we do that an example we really like is um a company called duke energy a big um energy company based out in um north carolina led by jim rogers several years ago he developed sort of colorful, fun diagrams called strategy maps. And it was basically a way of visualizing where Duke Energy fit within the larger framework of the energy marketplace. And it was a way of sort of conveying to people who don't necessarily think about strategy all day, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Here's why your job matters. Here's how your job fits into the big picture of what the company's trying to do. That's, so it's, that's having an intentional approach to how you talk with employees. And it's making sure that they understand the, the intentional thrust, as it were, of the company, what the company's trying to do in the marketplace. I like that strategy map. We've been talking about the four elements to organizational conversation. Intimacy, which is the, has the keyword leadership. Interactivity, which is about channels. Inclusion, which is about content or control. And intentionality, which is about strategy. Michael Slind, author of Talk, Inc., How Trusted Leaders Use Conversation to Power Their Organizations, Thank you for joining us and Engaging Leader. Jesse, thank you for talking with me. Mike's website is talkincbook.com, and we'll provide a link to his website and his book, which is available in Amazon.com, in our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 39. And while you're on the show notes page, please provide your thoughts or questions in the comments section, or you can connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. Don't miss our next episode of Engaging Leader when we are inviting back our previous guest, Todd Henry from The Accidental Creative, to discuss leading innovation. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, 
a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Harsler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seale, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. Music